Welcome to OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you will find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nikki. I feel like there should be like a pl- like playoff music or something. It's yeah. so formal. Hi, I'm Nikki Compulsive Eater. Hi, Hi guys. Um, to those of you that have been attending this meeting in the last, um, I think, maybe three or four years, my apologies. I have spoken here twice before. I will try to reinvent my story all brand new with all sorts of different <sighs> new inventions. Um, no, I have one story, and I will tell it. Um, Okay, so then I got some time. I will lay it down. Okay, um, so I I don't remember entering the world as a compulsive eater. Um, I don't remember being a really particularly compulsive kid. Um, I was a dancer and a gymnast, a gymnast as a little girl, and very athletic and very active. And consequently, I had a certain body type that comes with being a um, gymnast and a dancer and um being really, really athletic, multiple, you know, many hours a day of training. And um, I didn't do that for any compulsive reasons. I did it because it's what I love to do. And um, consequently, sorry, to the men in the room, I apologize that it's very hard for me to tell my story without getting into the little bit of the female issues. Um, but I, I um, be- as a result of being really athletic, I entered puberty really late. Um, so my body stayed very... Um, girlish or even boyish, you know, for a very long time. Um, and if there's, um, if there's anorexics in the room, you probably have experience that, um, you know, you can lose your periods or delay periods and stuff like that. So, not that I was anorexic, but because I was um, so involved in fitness stuff as a kid, um, uh, it was a long time till I saw my body change. And... Um, I got a lot of um, attention and um, positive affirmation for looking a certain way as a little girl, um, and especially from my mom and from my family, but from friends as well. And when uh, puberty did finally come for me quite late, and I started to see my body um, gradually change, I remember the first time that I asked um, a, a fellow dancer, I, I, I said to her, I remember the first time that I asked the question, do I need to lose any weight? And she took a look at me and she said, you know, come on. And then I said, are you sure? And she looked again and she said, okay, if you want, maybe three pounds. And um, that's where my story begins. That, that's where my story begins and really pretty much ends. You know, that's like, I, I, could, I could give you that sentence and just fill 40 minutes with that sentence and you would really know almost everything you need to know about me as a compulsive eater. Um, because I would chase that proverbial three pounds for, like, the rest of my adult life, basically, you know. Um, And I don't think I've ever led a meeting without telling that story because it's so um, fundamental to me about um, where this disease resides for me. And I know amongst our fellowship there are many varieties of compulsive eaters. If there are um, newcomers in the room, I, I know we have at least a couple. And if there are any, if there are any bless you, if there's any other newcomers hiding amongst us, um, you know, if my story doesn't 
doesn't, if you don't, can't relate to what I have to say, please attend a handful of meetings. I think six was suggested at least until you decide if OA is right for you because we all come in different, um, with different stories, different shapes and sizes, varieties, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that three pounds thing is the thing that first put the compulsive thinking into my brain. Um, that's when I started, I guess, dieting being aware of, you know, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to change this? Um, and all I can tell you is that, that that question was probably asked when I was about 17, 16, 17, that, that three-pound loaded question. Um, and I can tell you that that chase went on until I was 31 when I came back into these rooms. Um, I started dabbling with dieting and things like that as a young girl, and that continued on for a number of years um, with some weight fluctuations, you know, lose five pounds here, gain 10 there, lose seven here, gain 15 there, back and forth, a lot of yo-yoing, yo um, probably the most I've ever weighed. I don't know because I haven't been on a scale in many years. We'll get to that a little later, but um, the most I've ever weighed is, I guess, about three clothing, four clothing sizes bigger than I am now. Um, it was mainly a crazy mental obsession, um, but one that did show up in my body as well. Um, and uh, when I was about 19, 18, 19, I found Overeaters Anonymous for the first time. Um, I went to my first meeting. I heard my story. The speaker told my story. Everyone that shared told my story. I knew that I was in the right place. I knew that I was one of you. And I stuck around for about two or three years um, trying really to get thin. That was, that was the goal. That was the point as far as I was concerned. Um, consequently, I didn't really work the steps. I didn't really get a great sponsor. I didn't really get to know abstinence. And I never really had the big change that I think... Um, that I think is the gift of this program, you know, that we get to experience. Um, so two or three years like that, I did identify with this fellowship, and I appreciated everybody here, but I really didn't make a big change. I went away, and I did more field experimentation for another decade or so, uh, which then included not just diets, but a lot of cleanses, a lot of fasts, a lot of detoxes. I got very into, like, alternative kind of um, therapies and treatments and, and, you know, shunned the word diet. I was not dieting anymore. I was approaching my food in a, like, holistic way, you know. Um, but what that meant is that I was introduced to... Um, laxative abuse, but holistic laxative, you know, a very healthy, 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 healthy ways to eliminate everything you've just eaten. Um, by the way, um, this is not um, a public service announcement for laxative abuse. If you have not done it yet in your disease, I do not recommend it. It's messy, and it involves a lot of math, and I will leave you with just that information because I'm being recorded. Um, so, and those of you that have used them know that because you've got to time it out and all of that. Um, so I got heavily into that, and uh, colonics, colon therapy, and um, a lot of alternative kind of healthy eating. And so my binges got really, really weird during that period of time. You know, I won't get into the specific foods, um, but very, like, I would do these crazy things 
based on whatever the current fad was, I would do weird things with like food combining or trying to make sure the balance of this and that were correct. It, it all got very alternative and very weird. Um, and then sometimes I would get into the, let's see, I'm not, I, I'm not supposed to square here, into the F something it's um, mentality, which means I would just eat whatever I wanted. And, and uh, the way that I maintained my relative weight over the years was that I didn't do that frequently. I maybe only did it every week or so, and then the rest of the time I was depriving myself in one way or another with food. Um, and um, so during that period of two or three years in OA, it didn't work. I went away, and, and this period I'm describing of, like, kind of the holistic whatever thing I was doing, that lasted probably another decade or so. And... Um, I was um, working overseas. Um, do we? Does it? Do we? Do, are we not supposed to say what our professions are? Doesn't matter, right? Okay, because it's part, kind of part of my story. But um, I think I already said I was a dancer and a singer. So I was um, dancing overseas and singing in a show. And I guess the reason that the profession matters is well. It's probably kind of obvious, but there's a certain body image thing, obviously, with the business that I was in. And um, I was in rehearsals, and um, I got the news that my father um, had terminal brain cancer. And um, um, what I did was basically I got into survival mode for me, which is I'm going to push ahead. I'm going to push ahead with my life. And... I'm not going to process this information. You know, that's what I've learned as an addict, you know, is um, when I don't like what I'm given, you know, I find another alternative. And that alternative for me is generally body obsession and or food. And so uh, my extreme lack of acceptance about um, the diagnosis that I was told about my dad left, let me, led me to basically pursue my career even harder. And that when the rest of the family was kind of gathering around to help my dad and nurture him, um, I was overseas working and, like, really determined, like, I'm not giving up this job. I'm not coming home. Um, and consequently, my costumes were getting tighter. I, you know, I, I missed entrances on stage because I had themes that wouldn't close. So I couldn't get out on stage and do what I had to do at all because I literally couldn't zip up my clothes because I was gaining weight in distress, obviously. Um, that went on for a couple of years, and um, my father eventually died, and I went the other way, and uh, I started dieting really, really, really heavily. You know, it was the, it was the best way I could, I could manage what was happening to me, you know, what, was, what had happened in my family and what happened in my life. Um, and that's when I made the decision to come back to Overeaters Anonymous. Came back, I was 31 years old, and um, I was really clear for the first time that I had a spiritual malady, and that um, I didn't have a weight problem. And when I say I didn't have a weight problem, I'm not saying I didn't have extra weight on my body, I'm just saying that wasn't the problem. The problem was the spiritual malady, um, and that is the thing that, that always has needed my attention. The problem is that when I'm in pain, when I'm in distress, when I'm joyful, when I want to celebrate, when I'm jealous, when I'm envious, when I'm scared, when I'm excited, I find something intolerable about it, and I want to fix it. I want to fix it, you know? I want to get skinny enough 
to be able to handle the situation. And then I want to celebrate or indulge by taking the edge off, and that's with the food, you know? One extreme or the other. It's the same pendulum wherever it goes. Um, so I came back into Overeaters, Overeaters Anonymous. I'm sure you guys have heard the expression, you know, came, came for vanity, stayed for sanity. So for me it was came for vanity, came back for sanity. And when I came back for sanity, um, I approached this program differently. Um, I got a sponsor right away. Um, and I met my sponsor sight on scene. Um, I, I was in pain, so I was talking to a fellow and, um, and saying, I need a sponsor. And she recommended one on the phone and gave me her number. And I said, okay, I'll call her. And I started working with her. Um, and it was important for me because um, a big part of this disease for me is perfectionism. And I could have looked for a sponsor for the rest of my God-given life. I mean, you know, the one that is skinny enough, gorgeous enough, exactly the right age, has the right career, has the right husband slash boyfriend, has the exact correct dog and whatever house. Like, I really could have made this a crazy thing. And, you know, this was an anonymous person on the other end of the phone. I heard she had a couple thousand years of abstinence, and I was like, good, let's go, you know? And um, I followed her direction. I want to point out, I always say this, I am not a good girl. <laughs> I did not follow direction because I do that well. I followed direction because I was in pain. If there are people in this room right now that are in pain, then you're in good shape to work this program. That's been my experience, you know. Um, this, this program requires humility. And unfortunately, I don't get to humility without humiliation first. That's the way I'm wired. I have to feel a lot of shame, a lot of pain, and a lot of humiliation. And then suddenly I'm like okay, I'll try taking some direction, you know. And so that's what happened. You know, I came back in enough pain, pain that I really, really followed my sponsor's direction. I, I was determined, like, whatever she tells me to do, I'm basically going to do it because obviously my way isn't working, you know. So I started working steps, and I worked them consistently. And, um, boy, that really, really made a difference for me. Um, you know, I... I know that what I know is nothing. I, I am not an expert on how to lose weight, how to be, how to sane and guilt-free eat. I still can't tell you how I do these things. I can only tell you that I work the steps um, and that they work for me. Um, they, they are the magic. They are the magic. And they're not the magic in the way the food is. They are not satisfying like food is. You know, they are not. They are, um, to me, they're like a bank account that I invest in. And, you know, work a step. I work a step. My sponsor says, do some writing, take 20 minutes, blah, blah, blah. I don't do that and then feel so much better. I don't. Most of the time, on occasion. But most of the time, there are a hundred different foods I could have eaten that would have given me much more of a, ooh, that was good, that was satisfying. It's not what step work is for me. What step work is, is a long-term investment in my sanity and my serenity and my usefulness on planet Earth, you know. And what I've come to learn about this disease, that at least for me, I will, I'm not going to speak on behalf of, of everyone, but for me, that there was a kind of emotional immaturity to like, I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to manage it. I'm going to control it. I'm going to do it my way. And the steps to me have made me more adult, have made me more able to accept life on life's terms. So when I don't like something, I don't approve of something, I don't have to fix it. I have to first accept it. 
um, when I don't like what you do to me, it is not my job <laughs> to get up in your business and tell you how to live your life. It's rather my job to first accept you and then figure out what needs to be changed in me. And, and the steps have taught me that. Why that makes me put my fork down sooner, I don't know. But it does. And if there's newcomers in the room, I would want you to know that more than anything. That um, I, I can't stop compulsive eating can't do it like if I'm if I'm going to get in the ring with food I'm going to lose I'm going to lose so I, do, I don't get in the ring I don't fight with food abstinence is not a struggle for me abstinence is a gift I'm abstinent because I work the steps and therefore I don't want to compulsively overeat I'm going to say it again I don't want to compulsively overeat I'm saying it again because I'm so grateful for that the desire is like it's been uprooted from me no that doesn't mean it's perfect and that I sail through my life with ease and that I never have a food or body thought ever again but I have tools when they pop up and if I work those tools and I work the steps then once again the desire to compulsively overeat is lifted it just is I don't know how I don't know why but that's the magic right there on that wall behind you sorry to the people that are listening to this on a podcast that don't have what I'm pointing to but what I'm pointing is the 12 traditions of well it says Al-Anon but it's OA and the 12 steps of OA um, and that's the magic for me um, I still have more than 10 minutes okay I know I want time for questions too okay so um, let me talk about these steps a little bit. Oh, very quick little qualifying-y things. Um, I am smaller than when I came in. Um, I don't diet. I haven't been on a diet. I, I guess I never really qualified up front. I've been now abstinent for 11 and a half years, something like that. And um, my abstinence is no binging, no matter what. Um, I have this one other little thing that I abstain from. I don't use it all the time, but it's a tool if I need it. If I'm eating a meal that feels like it could get potentially squirrely or large, at a certain point in the meal that I real feel really confident is the point, I will say the words, I'm done. I can do it in, I can do it in public. I can do it in mixed company. I can do it in a restaurant. I can say to anyone at all in the world at any time, I can put down my fork and say, I'm done. The thing is, they don't know that I'm the crazy lady actually talking to God when I say that. <laughs> it's, it's actually a contract. It actually, I'm actually telling God I'm finished eating. And if I were to take one single more bite after that, uh, I would not be abstinent. And bless you. And I use that because um, the other part of my abstinence is no binging. And no binging can be, it can be a hard thing to grasp in certain moments. I mean, I, I have a sense of what that is right now standing here, a very clear sense. But if I'm feeling compulsive, it could get a little fuzzy. So if I'm in that fuzzy headspace, but I know that I've had enough, like just by looking at the actual quantity on the plate or whatever, then I will use this thing and I will say I'm done and I know that a single strawberry would not be abstinent. Um, So anyway, I've I've used those two things, no binging, no eating after I say I'm done to God, uh, for the last 11 and whatever, however many months, um, 11 years and however many months of abstinence. Um, Yes, that means my genes are smaller than they used to do, I guess two, three, however many sizes. Um, I don't step on scales. They don't serve me well. Um, for some of you, scales might be the smartest, best thing you can do. I've got nothing against scales. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with them. They give you information. It's just not information that I can handle. Um, because, you know, in the old days, it was like, pee, get on the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, like, eat something. Stay away from the scale. Like, I mean, it was just, you know, the various, like, take your watch off, get on the scale. Like, put your tennis shoes on. Get, I mean, it was just, woohoo, crazy time. 
So that's just, you know, my sponsor had me, like, very ceremoniously throw it in the dumpster um, many, many years ago and um, stay away from it. Um, I, 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 and when I go to the doctor's office, and I told you I'd probably bring this up. I'm going to bring it up. Um, when I go to the doctor's office, I face away from the scale, and I tell them, you know, this information is for you, not for me. And about, uh, oh, you heard this recently too, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, I, this happened to me maybe about six months ago where the woman that was weighing me, I guess, decided to totally disregard what I said and told me the number anyway. And I'm grateful to say that I, I think I kind of forgot what it was. I don't know how I managed to do that. I guess that's some kind of crazy recovery. Um, but it happened again a couple of weeks ago where the doctor was, like, writing out my chart. And at the end of the appointment, he handed me my chart that had the number on it. And, uh, and so I saw the number again. And the irony about it is that it was probably about three pounds more than what I think it should be. And uh, it, it was it was like such like poetic irony, like here we are chasing the proverbial three pounds, you know. And the funny thing about it is I didn't notice the three town the three pound cycle had completed until I shared at a meeting a couple weeks ago and I told this story about the doctor's office and it occurred to me as I was speaking like because I've been obsessing about it. Let me be clear. That three pounds was bothering me. I was upset, you know, not just about the number, but by the way I was looking and the way I was feeling. I was like, this is not cool. We're going to have to fix this. Oh, yeah, God, we're going to fix this. You know, that's, that's where I go. And uh, I was sharing about it in a meeting, and, and I just got kind of washed over with humility as I remembered, like, this is the beginning of my story. It's the beginning of my story, and here it is again, you know. And... Uh, what I know is I don't get to chase three pounds anymore, you know. I just don't. It's just a luxury I can't afford, you know. First of all, it's fattening. It's a, it's a fattening proposition for me. I chase three pounds, I gain weight. That's what I do. I go on a diet, I gain weight. I try to control my weight, I gain weight, you know. I try to control what you think of me, I gain weight. You know, I try to control what I think of me, I gain weight, you know. It's, that is what I do. I am not in charge. And if I'm in charge, it's chaos and mania for everyone. Um, so steps. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do, I'll briefly touch on these guys. Um, woo, step one. Step one was the hardest step for me of all. We admitted we were powerless over food, and for me it's powerless over food and body obsession, and that my life had become unmanageable. Um, that took a lot of humility, and that was not easy for me. It was easier for me the second time around in program because I was in more pain. What I found about step one, though, that was helpful is that I could act as if, and that it was enough. My sponsor had me do a big writing, like an inventory of all of my food and body history, like every, every binge, every diet, every alternative therapy, every date I canceled because I was feeling fat, every time I called in fat to work and didn't show up, every event I did, you know, all of that stuff, like I wrote it all down. So when I read the sentence, we, were, we admitted we were powerless over food, that was hard for me to say. That was hard for me to admit. But when I read all of the things I wrote, that I did with food and, and over body obsession, it was very clear that I was powerless because otherwise, why didn't I just fix it after all of these years? Um, step two, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, the sanity part would have been hard had I not done that giant writing about all the crazy things I did with food and in order to get thin. 
um, because clearly that was insane behavior. And clearly it was insane because I kept repeating the same behavior and expecting different results. Um, the power greater than myself part, oh boy, I mean, you could do hours on that. Um, you know, my, my God is a God of um, intuition, you know, intuitive wisdom. Um, I do not personally, when I pray, pray to like a big dude in the sky with like a staff and a white beard and like who just like throws down lightning bolts and says, bad girl, and then like, here's a cookie, good girl. Like that, that kind of God just won't work for me. I don't really see God as a person at all. Um, I don't you know that I even see God as God. It's just an energy, a something that's bigger than me. Um, and I know there's something bigger than me. Thank God. <laughs> um, because I, I didn't used to. I really, you know, in my disease thought I was master of the universe. You know, certainly master of mine and probably master of yours. You know, um, but I came to believe that, yes, some, there is something bigger than me and it could help me. And it was something to do with intuitive wisdom and love. You know, and something that benefits the greatest good. Um, so if that is my concept of God, then it's easy to turn my will and my life over to him because, or her or it or whatever, because why wouldn't I want intuitive wisdom and love and goodness? Why, why wouldn't I want that help? Um, making a searching and fearless moral, in, moral inventory of myself, step four, you know, it's just like homework, that step for me. You know, it's just like, sometimes I tell my sponsees, because I think compulsive eaters, like we can be so fun, we can be such funny compulsive people with, with our little like margins and our little matching pens and our computers and getting it all. I'll be like, you know what, grab a cocktail napkin and a lipstick and start scribbling your inventory. Like go, like just do it imperfectly and start. And that's kind of what I did. Like I just started, you know, I used the big book. I used the four columns. It's worked for gazillions of alcoholics. It's worked for a gazillion overeaters and it worked for me. Um, but it's just like homework. It's just sit down, do the writing, turn it in. And, oh, how weird. I'm eating less dinner. Um, and then I, step five, I handed it over to my sponsor. You know, it took a few installments. I sat down and I told her all the crazy things I did with food and with men and with people and with friends and with family and everything else. Um, from that, she had me extract um, the character defects. And this was really important um, and still remains really important for my recovery because I realize when I'm in pain today, um, you know, my first thought is because I'm too fat or my first thought is there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with me or I need to change what you think about me or I need to blah, blah. And what I realized, it's really my character defects that cause pain for me. You know, it's my perfectionism. It's my vanity. It's my self-centeredness. It's my fear. It's my belief in scarcity. I and mean, these are the things that hurt me, you know. Uh, why, what does it matter if I, what is, what does the three pounds matter if I'm not suffering from vanity, you know. The vanity is the problem, not the three pounds. Now, I happen to believe that that's true if it's three pounds, a hundred pounds, a thousand pounds. Like, the problem is my feeling about it, you know, my character defects. Um, humbly asking God to remove my shortcomings, step seven. This is a, this is a beautiful um, concept for me because um, I work now in the fitness industry and, I, I like, I like to muscle through life, you know. I want to fix it. And... Like, if vanity is the defective character that's tripping me off, well, then stop being vain, Nikki, damn it. Just stop. Sorry, that was 
a moderate swear word. Um, but um, what I have found is that step seven doesn't tell me remove my own shortcomings. It doesn't say take this thing that you like and get rid of it. It says humbly asking him, God, to remove my shortcomings, um, which sort of implies to me that it's, it's not for me to figure out. It's for God to figure out. Um, amends. Um, making a list of all people we had heart and becoming, become willing to make amends to them all. Um, you know, for a lot of us, the biggest one were the amends to myself. There were some amends that needed to be made to like, oh, the bulk bins that you steal from or, you know, whatever, stuff like that. I did have to make amends to the cats that I was working with um, overseas when I was crazy in my disease and my dad was dying and I was, you know, my costumes were... I had to make amends for like being late all of the time, for being angry all of the time, for trashing dressing rooms, for being just really a pain in the ass, self-centered. Oh, I did it again. Pain in the butt. Pain in the tuchus. Um, um, let's see. So, and that was very freeing to me. And I was actually just talking to a friend earlier about amends help me in my life regularly um, with things that I find hard to do, like being on time. I used to be chronically late. I'm not... I'm not not late today because um, I don't still have that tendency, but it's part of my amend. Like I, I see, I see the real character defect is my self-centeredness. You know that sort of um, disregards your time. You know, if I if I'm supposed to speak here today at 5:30 and I show up at 5:35, it's really kind of a blatant disregard of your time. Um, so it's part of my amends to you that I show up on time. So to me, amends are actually very practical. Um, continue to take step 10, take, continuing to take personal inventory and we were wrong, promptly admit it. Um, something I do very badly, um, but I do do. Um, sometimes written, sometimes a spot check. Um, I use the big book as my guide. Um, step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Um, prayer, I'm pretty good. Meditation, mezzo, mezzo. Um, the way I understand it is prayer is, you know, hear God. Dear God, I need some help. I'm struggling with my food, my husband, my meeting, my friend. You know, and meditation is the silent pause to listen for the answer. And I, I have found that pausing, that tends about to go, right? No? God, I feel like I've been speaking for hours and years, years, years at this podium. Um, hope it doesn't feel that way for you guys. Um, that, um, that pause has really been helpful to me in my recovery because as a compulsive person, I want to act. I want to do something. I don't like it. I want to fix it. I want to take an action. You know? Sometimes a destructive one, sometimes a constructive one, very often a destructive one. Um, but what step 11 helps me with is that there's a pause before that action. You know, there's a moment when I say to my higher power, what's your, for me? What's your will for me? H- how might you handle this if I weren't in charge? Just in case I'm not. Um, step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in, in all our affairs. This might be my favorite or my second favorite step. Step 6 and 7 are quite dear to my heart, too. Um... I like this step because it's not academic, you know? It's just like, it's like the feel-good step, you know? It's like, my life is better. Why shouldn't I tell you about it? And I sort of see it as like a debt I owe to Overeaters Anonymous. 
there are periods in a way when my brain is really quiet, you know, and that's a gift when that like hyperactivity and that need to fix things is just really, really quiet. And I, and I find myself not wanting to raise my hand and share in a meeting because I feel like, oh, I got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but step 12 is what gets my hand up. You know, it's, it's, there's newcomers in the room and they need to know that this works. And if my brain is quieter than it used to be, then I need to tell them how and why. Um, and obviously, you know, it puts me in front of this podium and all of that. But I, I really see it as a debt I owe to Overeaters Anonymous to um, carry the message, you know, Ho- hopefully humbly. Um, I hope that that's what I've done today is carried the message with humility. I want to be clear, like, whatever I've accomplished or not in a way is totally, you know, a result of working steps and a gift of this program. Um, hopefully there was something helpful in there. Oh, there's a 10-minute sign. Perfect for questions. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, how do I work step 11? That was the question. The answer is A, badly. Um, but depending on uh, the motivating factor of pain, when I am in more pain, I will... Um, I have a very li- lovely little sofa in my office, in, little like little baby sofa in my office that I'll take a seat at, and I have a bunch of like little like stones, like prayer stones that have little affirmations on them, like gratitude or uh, willingness or acceptance or things like that. And I've got little little roll the dice that say God on every angle, and if you roll them, it's God no matter how it turns out. And I've got um, and I've got like some prayer beads and just a whole bunch of like little hippy dippy toys that feel good in my hands. And um, I will sort of um, I'll pick it. I'll start with a reading. Um, maybe something from For Today or maybe something from the big book. Sometimes I'll pick the actual date or sometimes I'll just be like, uh, boom, that's the page. Whatever page I just kind of land on, I'll assume it's what I need. So I'll kind of read that and then um, I'll sit there with my iPhone and I'll set the timer for like three minutes or something and I'll pick one of those little stones or things to put in my hand. It's, it's for some reason, the holding something, the tactile thing is helpful for me. Um, and then I will use whatever that word is in the, that's in my hand, like gratitude or acceptance, whatever, and I'll use it kind of as a mantra because I find that uh, really silent meditation is very hard for me. It's better if I'm like, gratitude, 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 or dear God, please help me to, you know, have more gratitude or something like that. Uh, but I, I'm not going to lie. I don't do this every morning, people. I wish I could tell you I, I do, but I do not. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, I can totally talk about fear today. The question was, can you talk about fear? Um, and I can talk about fear today. I've actually been using the fear prayer a lot lately. Oh, you knew I was going to say that. You heard me say this the other day. Um, I've been using the fear prayer lately, which I will paraphrase badly. And forgive me if there are big big book thumpers in the room. Please see me after the meeting and correct me because I'll get it wrong. But um, and also, I like to I like to change the prayers in the books to my own wording so that they're like really comfortable for me. But here's how I say it. Um, God, please remove my fear of X, Y, Z, whatever, something, something. Uh, the book says something about spiritual matters. But for me, it's whatever. Please remove my fear of whatever's up and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Part two, I love. Please demonstrate to me what you can do in regards to this fear. Very, very satisfying prayer to me because I'm a show-me kind of girl. Um, and because I like action, this is like saying to God, well, I mean, I, I, the image I have is like a kid in a candy store. What do you have for me? You know, it's like saying to God, demonstrate to me what you do. I've, I've got fear. What do you have? 
you know. Um, and I find it's really effective. Like I really, I really get answers throughout my day. I mean, lately I've had a lot of financial insecurity, and I've said like, please demonstrate to me what you can do in regards to this fear, which I understand doesn't mean give me money. It means demonstrate to me what you can do in regards to this fear. And whether or not the financial insecurity gets lifted, um, the fear does. And, that, and that's, the fear is the thing that puts me in the food, not the financial insecurity. You know, it's the defective character that gets me in trouble. Oh, yeah. Um, so the question was how working with sponsees has changed my program over time. I don't know if I can answer how it's changed over time, but I can tell you a little bit about how it helps my program. Um, you know, I have a disease of self-centeredness. That's, that's what I really understand fundamentally about me is that, and whether it's I'm all that or it's I'm not enough. You know, fundamentally it's I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. You know, and what sponsees do is they help me with humility. You know, they help me to really understand that I'm one amongst many. And when I get a call from a sponsee and she asks, asks, asks for assistance with a problem that I have faced, then um, if it's a problem that I have faced but I'm no longer struggling with, then it gives me an opportunity for gratitude. Like, what do you know? I worked steps around that and I'm feeling better, you know? And if it's a problem I'm still struggling with, then it helps me to have humility. So... The sponsee thing is invaluable to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the ideal 12-step. No? I hope that answers the question. I don't know if I can say how it's changed over time. Yeah, I, I do. And um, I, I personally would not recommend doing this program without a sponsor. It's an, it's an instrumental tool to me. Um, for many years, until actually very recently, I worked with the same sponsor that I came in, you know, years ago that I met on the phone, you know. Um, and she's terrific. She's just not super available for me. Um, and uh, I had a really hard time finding a new sponsor. I mean, that, that's why it was so fortuitous for me the first time around that somebody just said on the phone. Because if I have to think about it, I'm going to overthink it, you know. So I, I was at another meeting a f couple of months ago, and... Um, Somebody, it was one of those meetings where people raise their hands and say that they're available sponsors, and somebody raised their hand that I was like, you know, I've always kind of thought that that girl, like, she just works a good program. I don't know her personally well. I don't really identify with her personally. Our lives are extremely different, like, extremely, you know. Um, but it, she, I just really admired her. I was like, she's, um, she's got what I want. You know, she's got what I want. She's really sane. She's really healthy. And um, and uh, I asked for her help. And, and um, again, it comes down to humility. If I'm not in charge and I'm not the expert and I need help, i got to know where to go to get it, you know. And, um, and God can be really an ephemeral thing out there in the universe that can be hard to pin down. And, and a sponsor is one way of kind of hearing. If, if God, for me, is intuitive wisdom, then a sponsor is a really good way to kind of channel that intuitive wisdom. You know? um, she asked about how often I attend meetings and how I use that tool. You know, this is one of those questions that I hesitate to answer because different strokes for different folks, you know, and I'm not like a five-meeting-a-week kind of, kind of girl. 
Um, for, for years, I went to one meeting a week because that's what was convenient for my schedule. It was on Sundays. Um, because of my particular profession, which is kind of a split day profession, there's a lot of meetings in the morning and a lot of meetings at night. There's not a ton in the middle of the day, at least not like in the area where I need them to be. Having said that, if I was in pain and I was not abstinent or I was struggling, I would get my butt to a meeting no matter what. You know, I would do it. I would figure it out. Um, but for years, um, I, I just had my one meeting. I now have two on the weekends um, that I get to no matter what. You know, I have serving service positions at both of them. I think it's really important to have service positions because I won't go. I mean, if it's optional, I'm going to opt out, you know. So I have those service positions which get my butt in the chair. Um, and if I'm in pain and I need more meetings or if something comes up in my schedule and, and like, some weird magical time opens up, then I'll get to more. Um, or, like, speaking gets, gets me to more meetings as well. Uh, but meetings for me, by the way, um, meetings for me are a tool and a great one, a really, really good one. Um, but they are absolutely, for me, no substitute for step work. And I say that because my first time in the program, I went to lots of meetings. I probably was going to five, six, seven meetings a week. I was not, however, working steps, and I wasn't abstinent. So that's just my, my story around that. But not to be, like, anti-meeting, because meetings rock. Here we are. Mm -hmm. Any more questions? Do we have more time? We have time for one or two more. Ooh, what do I do when I feel lonely? By the way, it's really weird, like, um, pointing to you guys and not saying your I know a bunch of names in this room, and I don't want to say them because I know we're being recorded. So if I'm like, you there, um, what do I do when I'm feeling lonely? Ah, I don't struggle with loneliness today like I used to as much. Um, so I can't... Um, it's hard for me to answer from this second, but if I can rewind the tape um, to when I was newer in program and I dealt with a lot of loneliness, um, the first thing I did was a lot of promiscuity. Um, and it did not help. <laughs> and uh, I do not suggest that. Um, that was my solution to a lot of loneliness. And um, when I um, had been abstinent about a year or two and the pr promiscuity had not been lifted yet as a character defect, um, there were a couple of adventures, let's say, that, um, that made me feel as if I had broken my abstinence. And I hadn't because I have no abstinence surrounding those things, nor do I work another program surrounding those things because it's not really my bottom line thing, but it's a dabble kind of thing. Um, so after a couple little dabbling moments um, that made me feel like I had broken my abstinence and had made me feel like I had binged with food, I felt such shame and despair about it that I, I made up a prayer. And it went like this. Dear God, please remove my belief in scarcity and replace it with a belief in abundance. And that's my wrap-up. And that is what helped me with loneliness, that weird prayer. Thank you so much.